This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello one, hello all. You are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Obviously, you're smart enough for that because you downloaded this thing, and I appreciate that. I'm Ray Harkins, your host. We're talking music of the independent variety, whether it's like punk, hardcore, DIY, indie rock, whatever it is, as long as it has that spirit of not asking permission, doing it yourself, and then figuring it out along the way, because that's what this podcast is. You know, some like some seven years in, I'm still figuring stuff out and learning new things. And uh, yeah, it's great. Today's show is awesome because I have Scott Hobart from Giant's Chair. Now, if you're not familiar with Giant's Chair, totally get it. I understand you are not of a certain age, but they loomed large in the sort of early 90s, mid 90s emo indie rock scene. And uh, I got keyed into them via Cave-In 
I was aware of their band's name and I was also aware of the record label they were on. So I checked them out. It didn't really connect to me till I kind of put it in the contextualization of where they sat in the scene. And they actually just released a new record in December of 2019 on Spartan Records. It's called Prefabalon and it is a really, really good record. It's a great starting point if you've never listened to the band. So you definitely need to uh, check it out from that perspective. And you need to check this interview out because it was great. But let's get some uh, some business pleasantries out of the way. Well, it's not even really business pleasantries. I just want to know how you are doing. So please email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I always love to uh, interact with people from that capacity. And also, <clears throat> I was able to attend two cool things this weekend. One of them was a, uh, the iHeart Podcast Awards. And I know this sounds like I'm being like a company shill man because that's the company I work for. And obviously I like podcasts, but uh, it was pretty neat because uh, iHeart Radio, like they know how to put on an event. And it was really cool to see uh, a celebration of some of the best podcasts around. It was very cute because my, uh, my eight-year-old son was like, Daddy, are you winning an award? And I was like, no, no, I am not winning an award. I'm just going to this show because I work for the company and there's some, some cool stuff going on. So, um, yeah, some great winners like uh, the best music podcast was a previous guest of the show, Jake Brennan from Disgraceland. And uh, there was also just just a ton of cool stuff. There was a uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other, you know, music connections from that perspective, but I don't think there was. But it was a fun time. And then the next night I was able to go to see Poison the Well do their 20th anniversary show uh, celebrating the opposite of December. And, you know, to be honest, I haven't listened to Poison the Well on a very regular basis in quite some time, but man, the moment they started playing opposite of December songs, I was just transported back to a time and place, and those songs still hold up. That record still is unbelievable, and uh, there were so many friends, and it was just a, it was such a positive show. I loved experiencing that, and I hope that you get a chance to see that band perform, because I know that they're doing more shows. Like, that is an absolute reality, because this show sold out in, like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or something like that. But uh, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, it, just toss on opposite of December and you'll be like, oh man, that was really fun. And you can also dive super far back in the archives and you will hear an interview that I did with uh, Chris Hornbrook from Poison the Well, the drummer. Uh, so yeah, check that out. But anyways, here is Scott from Giant's Chair. It was, uh, it was a really enlightening conversation because there was stuff that I just did not know about the band, did not know about him. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. So here is the chat. Um, so, you know, I'm 39 years old from Southern California and started to get into, you know, like punk and hardcore and indie rock and stuff and kind of, you know, like whatever, 95, 96. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for a while I, I, I kind of resisted the idea of like singing music cause you know, that's what aggressive young teens don't like, you know, they're like, Oh right. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I want the heavier stuff or whatever. Right. But then, uh, you know, as I, as my eyes opened up with, you know, bands like Texas Reason and Christy Front Drive and all that stuff, you know, I took a deep dive mm -hmm. into it and Caulfield Records was definitely a, you know, entry point for me and had such a good track record as far as everything they've released. And it was interesting when I found Giant's Chair, I, I immediately, I enjoyed it and I was taken with it, but it was one of those things where I was like, oh, these guys feel older. And I don't mean that in a pejorative, like, uh -huh. you know, but it just felt, uh, for lack of a better term, and, you know, people throw this around all the time, but like more mature, you know? Yeah. Um, have you got that sort of characterization before? Do you see kind of, you know, maybe where uh, a random, you know, teenager from Southern California would define that? 
Well, um, I feel like actually just kind of recently with this new record, we, I, we, I don't know if it's really to your point, but we just saw somebody was, had just got the record in the mail, was listening to it and they had just, they, they were fans of Spartan records and they had never really, uh, heard us before and they just kind of, but they liked to buy all the Spartan stuff and they got it. And, um, and they're, I, I can't remember word for word what they said, but it was something to the. I feel like it was something that, you know, used the word mature and like it was more, um, yeah, there was something in the music for them that, that seemed to be, um, uh, you know, older, I guess to use your word. But, um, as far as back in the day, uh, I mean, I think we felt a little bit older because we were by, but not by much. I mean, when we were out with boys life, um, I, we were, you know, they were probably two years or so, maybe, well, maybe a little bit more than that, younger than us. And, um, but at the same time, we felt a little greener than they, than them because they had, they'd already been around. And the same with some of the other uh, bands around Kansas City that were getting out and around, you know, Season to Risk and Molly McGuire and this germ box and stuff. They were, they had already been out doing stuff. And so we kind of always, to some extent, I, I felt like we were, um, younger in that respect, but, um, but no, not it's at the, the, you know, I, I haven't really heard the adjective of mature, uh, or older sounding to any great degree, but a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And I think it's, you know, it's weird too, because like when, you know, your, your first introduction to whatever genre of music, like that's kind of your, you know, the, the, the pole in which you compare stuff to. And so mm-hmm. if, if things sound a little bit more technical, you're kind of like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, they are just more skilled players or whatever, you know? Right, yeah. And sometimes you I, attribute that to, you know, being a little bit older. And like you said, you know, maybe a year or two older, but like, you know, in those terms, that's like a world of difference. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, uh, you know, we've also we have had reviews of uh, that. Pe- you know, people th- said that of our uh, peers, uh, you know, some other bands and stuff that we were, uh, yeah, more technically uh, adept, I guess. Or you know, we played. Someone said we played circles around some of the other Midwestern female <laughs> bands, but I'm not sure. We all, we all we all like it all, and sometimes you know you want to you you want to you know, you want to hope that you were, uh, um, you know, not just the technocrats in the room, but yeah, right. You're not just like shredding to impress. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. I wish I could shred more, uh, you know, I wish (laughs) I had more chops, but, um, but anyway, that's always nice to hear if people think you do. (laughs) Yeah. And, and also, I'm not sure if this got reflected back on you at any point too, but the, um, uh, like Steve Brodsky from Caven, mm-hmm. um, you know, he uh, he did a side project called Kid Kilowatt that was uh, very, very um, akin to what uh, Giant's Chair was doing and, you know, is, is still doing from that perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like once I I fell in love with that project and I kind of worship at the altar of Steve Brodsky. So like when he started sure. kind of sprinkling like, oh, yeah, Giant's Chair is really important. It kind of like all came full circle to me where I was like, oh, yeah, I see like, you know, not only do I. That's in, cool. Yeah. So I, I don't know it, it, if you were aware of that sort of like homage that was being paid to Giant's Chair. Well, I know um, I knew of Steve, and I knew that the that Caven had covered the um, 
the callous that yeah. song and um and of course i mean that is just you know you can't really hope for more flattering situation than someone taking your your song and doing it you know that's always huge um and then yeah I, and we we did get a chance to play with them they came through we had and not that long ago uh it was probably three years ago now mm-hmm. they were uh, uh mutoid man was coming through and so uh they asked if we could if we would want to play and we were by then writing the songs for the new record and so it was fun to sit with him and or stand with him and talk for a little bit about about all that and yeah that's super cool that is that that is very cool. It is it also is really neat to have um you know that all kind of cycle back where people right. are still staying active in music such as yourself and obviously Steve for that matter and then being mm-hmm. able to you know like you said share the stage and just like you know talk to each other as peers as opposed to like you know Steve being a 14-year-old trying to rip off dad's chair. You know like it just it's <laughs> right. kind of cool to have that. Yeah, it is and man they slayed too. I mean it's talk about someone you know a I mean, plus they're hilarious, you know, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) but just the technical, you know, that was definitely one of those nights where it's like, wow, well, and I didn't have lyrics for a lot of the stuff. So I was kind of just scratch vocaling uh, (laughs) and some things. Sometimes that happens if I forget some things, but this, at that stage, we were just glad to be, we just were kind of trying to start playing the songs out and get a feel for, you know, what, what they would do live. And so, you know, not only was, did he have words for his songs that were real, (laughs) he could also play the hell out of them, you know, and the whole band, you know, so anyway, but yeah, right. You know, we're all, yeah, to be able to kind of, come full circle you know and um and sort of all be the same age ultimately yeah totally because yeah i mean to your point earlier when you are you know anywhere between like 16 to 23 if a person is you know two or three years older than you that is like such a vast difference even though you know yeah when you're 39 versus 42 it's like no one cares like there's no right no difference exactly yes yeah <laughs> um so kind of reflecting on you as a person you know i, I know you're uh, there's you know some biographical information i'm going to skip across just because you know that's been reiterated in a bunch mm-hmm. of different places but i understand you were born and raised in kind of rural missouri like how mm-hmm. rural, how rural are we talking about are we talking about like you know like one stoplight town or what, what yes okay exactly it was a it was it's a uh, they have a couple of stoplights and actual traffic lights now because you know the fast food comes in and then the things get a little, a little yeah. more hectic. But when I was growing up, I mean, we literally had one red flashing stoplight in the center of town. And, um, and so it was, I think, you know, we, we joked there was 4,000 people on a good day in town, you know, generally. So, I mean, it's not the smallest town in Southern Missouri, but it was, uh, definitely one of the smaller ones. Yeah. And I think to your point, I think it's one of those things where I, I think it's good for people to, you know, either be raised from or have an experience of staying in a town that is that tiny because it not only mm-hmm. gives you perspective and something to, you know, compare stuff to, but, um, yeah, like my, my stepfather was raised in a town called Farmington, Illinois. And it was like, mm-hmm. to your point, it was like, I mean, I think it was a little bit larger, but you know, me being a suburb boy getting exposed mm-hmm. to the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. 
I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire you know, rural Illinois life. I was like, oh yeah, the world is bigger than just my (laughs) suburb or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fabric, you know, of it all, the, the contrast for me, the contrast between growing up there and, you know, really, you know, I've spent 18 years. I mean, all my formative years were down there. And then, um, at 18 to, uh, to come up to Kansas city, which is four hours away and, um, just kind of be transplanted and, and to be transplanted in a very creative environment of a, you know, an art college and a music scene is pretty mind blowing. Totally. In a really great way, you know? Oh boy. 
I love shows. I love going to shows. I love having experiences at shows. Stuff that is like a little bit different than maybe just going to a venue, watching a band play. Go to soundrank.com and they will deliver that in spades. So they have all of these amazing VIP ticket upgrades that you can include on many of the tours that are coming through your city. I have seen stuff like, you know, play Django with your favorite band, go grab some coffee. Here's a really cool in-depth acoustic Q&A with the band. I've seen so many of these awesome, awesome options. And what makes it even cooler is that they work hand in hand with band and the management to be able to make sure they're crafting that experience that's, you know, true and authentic to the band because you've been to something that a band doesn't want to do, right? Like, you know, like a random autograph signing at like a, you know, a mall store, like that's, that's a nightmare. No one really wants to do that. But these experiences are exactly what the band wants to do because they've selected them. So go to soundrink.com. They have this VIP ticket game on lock and they will make sure that your experience is well worth every penny that you paid for it. So soundrink.com, thank you for supporting the show and go to some more shows, okay? You know, at that point you were ready to kind of, you know, be exposed to the, mm-hmm. the world outside of it. Like, did you feel... I mean, obviously, because you went to a larger city and you know wanted a, a larger experience, did you have that kind of like you know small town? I can't wait to break out of it. Sort of you know vibes going on, or was it just kind you know? Of- it's funny. I I never I never really felt that way. I don't know if I just had a fear of not appreciating where I where I was from because it was sort of the cliche that you know I just want to you know shake the dust off and get out there. I'll never come back to this town, and I always just assumed I would miss it when I left. And so I kind of tried to appreciate it as best I could while I was there. And, um, and so it wasn't, I mean, I, I was excited by the adventure of it all and, and, um, and had really no idea what to expect when I got away f- from there. But I, you know, I went back and was glad to go back the following, you know, the, after my first year of college to work, you know, mowing, lawns or whatever, you know, just to work and go back home for the summer. Um, so I was not in any huge hurry to get away necessarily, No, but I'll be glad I did. And, and it was, you know, it's all been good. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, I, I think the comedian Pat Oswald, like he, you know, made some joke or like, cause he was raised in a small town in Virginia. And mm-hmm. he said the moment that people started talking about working at the local gas station because they get free gas, like yeah. that, that is, it's like, Oh, like, yeah, you have no ambitions beyond just this, this, you know, five mile radius or whatever. Right. And yeah, I mean, I guess maybe that works on some level for some folks, but I, you know, I don't, I, I guess I figured I would leave, uh, you know, I need, it would go. So it wasn't like I, yeah, I wasn't planning on staying, but I was not, yeah, trying to run away from home anytime sooner. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, totally get that. Um, and so what was your family structure like, you know, mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters, what did that look like? That, so my mom and dad, uh, for, you know, till I was eight and then they split up and, um, and my dad was around pretty much. And then, uh, but then he and ultimately he was a shoe repairman. And so by then, you know, it was just getting harder and harder. Uh, if you weren't living in a bigger city to find people who were buying shoes fancy enough to want to get them fixed or something. Sure. So he, so he, he ended up moving up to St. Louis. And so it was just, uh, my mom and my sister and I, and, um, that that was pretty much the immediate life. I mean, he w- he was around and would come and visit, and um, 
and we went up there and stayed with him a time or two also. And um, so that was sort of the family vibe. My grandmother and grandpa, uh, my mom's mom and dad lived in Houston, Missouri, which was about 60 miles away. So we would go down to their town, which was maybe like three people larger than our town. Um, and so we would spend time a little farther down in there, um, uh, you know, spend some spend summers a little bit down there if my mom was going to go to Opryland or something. Sure. And then, uh, so that was pretty much the the immediate family scene. Got it. Got it. And you mm-hmm. are you the oldest b- between you and your sister? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. She was she was a couple years older. I, she's passed now, but she, um, we had a. Um, but yeah, that was our just two years apart. Uh huh. Got it. Got it. Um, what age was she when she passed away? I'm sorry to hear that. Oh yeah. So she was, um, she had struggled with addiction and, um, so it was, she, it was really about, I guess, four years ago or so when it finally got her and, um, you know, just a kind of a, you know, bad accident type thing that, but it, you know, was drug related. So, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so that's, that that's what that's what happened there. Yeah, no, that's that that's rough. And you, yeah, I mean, you you can't help but uh, look at the you know, um, I guess the the boredom that exists in a lot of small towns. And right. Obviously, like you know, mm-hmm. did, did you um, you know, and, and you, I'm sure, had some of that as well. I mean, like you know, mm-hmm. was I guess was that kind of pervasive around your town? Not even like drugs, but just kind of the 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 boredom of like, oh man, like what are we going to do today? I guess ride bikes. Yeah, again? I mean, I think there, yeah, there was there was a, uh, I think some of that. Of course, you know, you can. It, there was a lot. There was. I felt like, um, you know, the kids older than me. You know, I, I was I was pretty much a straight edge kid for for whatever reason. I think I kind of. I mean, my folks had split up because my dad was an alcoholic, and and so I kind of had a ingrained sort of paranoia about it. But the the older class kids and stuff, I, I just remember them going to the river to party and stuff. So I suppose that was, you know, part of that. But I think that happens uh, in you know any you know high school population. Um, they're just you know people just trying to find some kind of excitement no matter where you are and you're going to think you're bored no matter what. So just seeing what's out there. Um, but I do feel like, you know, with the, you know, when I look back, um, you know, the opioid thing, you know, that has really decimated a lot of things down there and meth also. I mean, and I do think that, yeah, there's just a sort of this, well, you know, there's nothing else really going on and I, I'm not aspiring to do anything else and there's, you know, no opportunity. So why not just obliterate, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I feel like that's a thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, when you combine all of these elements of like everything you're talking about, like you said, plus the boredom, plus the idea mm-hmm. that like, you know, what, what, like I, I got brought into this world under these like weird circumstances and like I'm mm-hmm. in a small town, like how the hell am I going to get out of here? And then you just feel that, you know, that cycle happening over and over. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty rough. Did you actually like, were you claiming straight edge? Like, were you aware of that or that was just kind it of, was, it was funny. Like I, I, 
I did not really know a lot about what I didn't know anything really about punk culture. Um, I ultimately, whenever I, I, I was a skateboarder and I, I started skating with some guys who were, um, from the, the college town about 10 miles away, Rolla, Missouri, and they were more into punk culture. And I was in, you know, I would get, um, you know, skate magazines. And so I kind of started to see that there was a different world and some different, you know, things going on. But I do remember, I, you know, while I never put a, I had, I never had black X's on my hands, but I do remember for a while, for a long while, I was drawing every day, I would draw um, a skull and crossbones on my hand. And I don't even know where it came from. That's but it so was, good. You know, yeah. It was like a vaguely, uh, it was a vague X really, but right. uh, it was a skull and crossbones for some reason. And it was definitely during my, you know, you guys are just fucking your lives up by partying and I'm yeah. just skating. Yeah. You know, well, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I, I'm still straight edge myself and I, uh, you know, I, I definitely like X'd up in high school, like, you know, going yeah. to school, but like I can <laughs> safely say I have never heard a skull and crossbone X like vaguely resemble it. Like, that is, that is a beautiful <laughs> piece of poetry, Scott. I like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny. Like, yes, the, um, coincidence of it all. Right. It dogs me. <laughs> totally. No, I love that. I love that. It's just like, you know, <laughs> accidental straight edge that you were claiming via a, a right. crossbone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so good. Um, and so, I, I mean, I find that interesting that, uh, you know, you started, I mean, most people that are of a certain age definitely get, you know, bitten by the skate bug and then, you know, start to get exposed to subculture via that mm-hmm. means because, you know, that was really, uh, you know, so pervasive within, uh, that time frame. So oh, yeah. it sounds like skate culture was basically your sort of like entry point and who, um, I guess who kind of introduced that to you or was that just like, you know, amongst the town kids? Well, so we, I remember seeing, um, uh, um, back to the future and, uh, Michael J. Fox, you know, his skateboard, you know, he was a skater basically, you know, yep. in that movie. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to, I want that, you know? And then at some point I also saw fast times at Ridgemont high, and so that was kind of a surf thing. And, uh, you know, it just was intriguing to me. And I, you know, I was at a moment where you're kind of trying to figure out who you are and trying to recreate yourself. And, um, and so, yeah, I think I was, uh, that's probably where I first started seeing that. And then that's when I wanted to get a skateboard for Christmas. Uh, and I did, and it was all, you know, absolutely obsessive skating then from then on you know we built and in fact you know my my day job here now i i work i build sets for a children's theater and i learned how to do that those kinds of things by building skate ramps you know um you know learning how to use some power tools and how to frame up a strange shape or or whatever so um it's really yeah the whole yeah skate culture has been a entry into a lot of things for me that I didn't even realize until much later. No, I love that. Cause I think most of us that get raised in, you know, these weird subcultures, you're like learning skills, but you don't have, it's not like you're <laughs> saying that as you're doing it. You're not like, Oh man, right. I'm really learning some beautiful woodwork here. You're like, no, I've got to build a skate <laughs> ramp, dude. Yeah. I just want to, have, I just want to skate. Yeah. I, I just got to <laughs> drop in. I got to have a half pipe, obviously. That's right. Yeah. 
Um, and so then, uh, you know, did so clearly you recognize the, the music connection, like as you started to probably watch, you know, some rudimentary skate videos or just, you know, see stuff in thrash. Oh yeah. What was, I guess, kind yeah. of the entry point band wise from that perspective? Well, so around then, you know, uh, bones brigade, uh, stuff was happening. And, um, and so agent orange, uh, I, I think they were on like the first bone brigade video. Um, I think anyway, I know for sure I learned about agent orange through, um, skate culture. So yeah, agent orange. And then it's some, somewhere around there too. Um, so I, this is another thing that intrigues me about my hometown growing up and it's in skating and all that. Um, it's funny cause the town over the, the college town, Rala, you know, I don't know what their population was, but you know, at least three times our town and probably more when school was in. Um, and they, uh, they, you know, my skater friends over there, they were constantly having the skate harassment thing happen, you know, the just jocks or whatever. And I never really had that happen. I mean, it was all, you know, our town, you know, we would go, we'd be skating around while everybody else was cruising and drinking and whatever. And they would just pull in and see what we were up to and said it was so cool. And, you know, they loved it. And so it was very supportive and ever, you know, it was not a, a strange friction at all. And then, um, and some of those guys who would have been considered, you know, jocks, or at least, you know, that was their world were also, going up to St. Louis to see, um, you know, like punk shows and they would, you know, and I was actually, I would hear about these shows that in the bands they were going to see. And I was just kind of frightened by it all. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, you guys, how could you go up there and just jump into all this craziness? And, um, but anyway, they would bring back, you know, uh, stories and band names or whatever, you know? And, um, and then at some point they, they were also into uh, the Repo Man soundtrack, oh, that sure. movie. Yep, and it was huge. I mean, we were just we were you know it was like oh my gosh you know all those pro you know real punk bands, um, and so that was huge. I guess so musically, uh, that all kind of happened around the same time. Nice, and nice, very influential. And how did your um you know, cause it, it sounded like your, your mom was the one that was doing most of it. I guess the, the parenting as far as being, you know, mm-hmm. living with her and stuff, how, you know, as you started to get into this weird stuff that she probably had no context for, how did she react to it? Oh, she was, so my mom was a hairdresser and she, um, she, you know, she, she was just, she was like, I don't care as long as you're not getting into trouble, you know, you can do whatever you want. And so I was having her give me you know, crazy haircuts and <laughs> that's awesome. um, dying it, you know, or do what anything, you know, I was just trying to be nonconformist in some, any way I could. And, um, and she just was all for it. And she, so she would just do whatever I wanted and let me do wear whatever I wanted or anything. And she just figured it was pretty harmless and, you know, just part of the, uh, you know, a per- personal evolution. And so I have to thank her a lot for not, you know, you know, really yeah, can't. She was just, she was just like, well, you're you're the one who has to wear it, so whatever you want to do, totally. Yeah, so she she was very good about that. And you know, music. I mean, she didn't she didn't understand or care really too much about what I was listening to. But she she did. I think she did value um, you know culture 
and so she would um she would take us up to st louis which was the two you know that was only two Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Two hours away from where I grew up, and we would go up there to see, you know, plays, big Broadway plays, or um, we would go, she took us to see our first concerts. You know, I, my first big show was Culture Club. Nice. In, in um, St. Louis, and then she took us to see Rush at least twice, me and my buddies. Um, and then, uh, you know, just, you know, whatever. She was just... She just felt like that was worthwhile, I guess. Yeah, she was supportive. No, that's really and, cool. Yeah. And then I was also at the same time into break dancing. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, it was a real soup of, of culture craziness. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, 
is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Rockabilia.com. Use this code, PC100Words, and that gets you 15% off your order. The reason I give that to you first and foremost is that so you don't forget it. Once you visit the website, you will be absolutely spending as much money as possible on the rad band merch that they have. This is an independently run company, all officially licensed merch. They ship it out to you fast. They have hundreds and thousands of pieces of merch. I love it. Why don't you go there right now and you'll be able to find some, uh, you know, maybe some gifts for your uh, your Valentine's Day sweetheart, okay? Maybe maybe you can buy them some nice band merch stuff and they'll be like, oh, wow, that's very thoughtful of you. You must have ordered this and, you know, you, you thought ahead as opposed to running out to the corner store and getting some horrible flowers. You don't need that. But Rockabilia is the real deal. They have high quality band merch, stuff that will last you for years and years to come rather than those horrific bootlegs that you see all over the internet. You don't need to do that to yourself, nor do you need to do that to anybody that you purchase it for. So like I said, use the code PC100, that's the number 100 words, and that gets you 15% off your order. I love them so much. So please go check out the website and you will, uh, yeah, you'll buy a lot of stuff. Okay. Now here's the rest of the show. I mean, I appreciate you mentioning that because I I think it's so it's fun to, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you're pretty much devoid of context, like you're just Mm -hmm. into stuff because you like it. You don't, you know, you don't have, I mean, of course there's the judgment of friends being like, Oh dude, that's lame. You're doing this thing or whatever. But you know, for the (laughs) most part, like you can kind of skate by on some of those things. If you find the appropriate, you know, if you, even if just one of your friends likes breakdancing, you're like, all right, that's, that's cool. Like I got my community. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's about what it was. It was me and maybe two other guys who would, <laughs> who were doing that while, you know, and you know, well, are we going to break dance or skateboard tonight skateboard, at, yeah. the, at the, um, at the supermarket parking lot, you know? Of course. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, and l- like you mentioned, um, you know, college was kind of an awakening for you in regards to, mm-hmm. you know, getting you more into like independent music and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess prior to that, like, did you, um, did you care about school? Did you have kind of like ambitions for yourself in regards to like, Oh, this is a career I'm going to do. Um, no, not really. I, I, you know, sort of around the seventh grade era by then I was, uh, not a good student. I could always draw and and paint. I liked to, you know, I was, I could ace art no matter what and drafting. I loved drafting and shop class and those things. But, uh, and I liked to write. Um, but you know, i whenever it came to like diagramming sentences or doing any kind of math, I was a a terrible failure. And so then, um, 
eventually I just kind of hobbled through, but I was in no way uh, um, academically inclined at that moment. It was more just, well, if I can just, you know, my mom was like, uh, you know, if you can just make it through and graduate, then maybe you'll go off to art school and you could draw all you want and maybe that'll be good. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> she, was, she was kind of on that. You know, she, I mean, she wanted me, yeah, I mean, she was frustrated by my poor, uh, grades. And in fact, at some, at one point I, she, I went to a private school, a Christian school because she was just like, I have no, I mean, she was in no way religious, you know, maybe agnostic and was just like, well, you gotta, we gotta figure out something. So she sent me to a Christian, a Baptist school in Rolla, you know, in the big town over. And so that was pretty interesting and um, she just tried to find some structure for you that worked. Yeah. Yeah. So I went there for, a, you know, half the last half of one of my seventh grade year and the first half of my eighth grade. And then, then I got back to my regular school and, and that was sort of whenever I really started getting into the skate culture and, and different stuff like that. But sure. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but no, no, no. Yeah. yeah you were, you were, you were, you know, wrap that up. Oh, I'm not a good student. Yeah. You're not a good student, right? You didn't have the, no. the ambitions were just like, yeah, I like putting pen to paper and drawing. And yeah. that's kind of, what and then, you know, and then started playing guitar too. So that was part of, that was really the, the all I wanted to do. And then, um, uh, but yeah, so eventually I, I did end up going to back to college. We'll get to that maybe later, but I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I don't and, want to jump ahead too much. I'll let you lead. <laughs> no, no, it's totally good. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, th- th- that's where I was headed. Are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's where I was headed in regards to, um, you know, the uh, you getting exposed to the idea of, you know, actually like playing in a band. Because, I mean, Giant's mm-hmm. Chair functionally is your first band, right? Like, did you play anything else prior to that in high school or anything? Um, yeah, we had, you know, we had some different bands, like a a cover band. I did have one full original band that had, I don't know, we probably had five tunes maybe. And we played one show and then, but other than that, it was really just a variety band. Basically it was just all of us guys who had by then started playing guitar and drums and stuff. Just, we would, I think there were four of us and we would just all pick like three songs that we wanted to do. And so it was a real mashup kind of of classic rock and college alternative type stuff. Um, and so that's where I probably cut my teeth playing in a band. And then, and in fact, after I went to came to Kansas city and started playing with Byron, the bass player from giants chair. And we, um, we were still playing with some of those guys. We would travel on the weekends because they were available. And I was like, well, we already got a drummer and a guy if we can get there. So we would start, you know, we would, we were, still playing with my high school guys at first, but yeah. Um, as far as, uh, you know, a band that was doing, you know, trying to write and record and make records was, um, it was with Byron first. And we had an, we had another band called hollow rain before giants chair. It was hollow rain. And then hot boy with different, you know, we had different drummers and people, but it was always Byron and I, and then Giants Chairs when we got together with Paul and and Byron's old high school friend, and got that's uh, got that's it. what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, a- as you started to kind of like get out there in regards to Giants Chair and like you know play shows and do all that sort of stuff, like clearly you know at that time in the you know 
whatever the <laughs> getting off of the you know mm-hmm. sort of grunge hangover where everybody was you know signing bands and independent rock was the new thing and you mm-hmm. know but bands obviously of the sort of indie rock you know emo genre like there's no career path you know so i pres- right. <laughs> i presume i presume that you guys were just basically kind of like putting one foot in front of the other in regards to like hey i guess we'll go on tour now i guess we'll release a record like there's no yeah i mean grand plan, i was right? like- I really didn't know that it, it was more like Byron and Paul, they had grown, they were from green Bay and uh, Byron, especially because we were, you know, we, we met each other the first day of college and he had a, you know, he was, he had come from this really vibrant punk scene in, in green Bay where there were, you know, all ages shows all the time and people making records and selling records and doing their thing. And so I kind of learned about it all from there and it and it you know it was just like well and then some you know our friends here in Kansas City who were starting bands at that time you know that just seemed that's just what you do you know it's just the you know you get together try to get some songs try to record and um you know try to play out as much as possible and hopefully get out of town and so yeah it just becomes more clear to you what you know what the the path is you know what what needs to have first because ultimately you just want to be out there rocking, you know? So yeah, that was it. <laughs> it's like, Hey, I could play. play Are you live. there? Yep. Can you hear me? Uh-oh. Can you hear me? Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. I don't know why it keeps cutting out like that, but I guess we haven't lost each other fully yet. No, no, no. Yeah, we're good. Um, but yeah, no, it makes sense because you're just, you know, operating off the idea that like, well, this is a fun thing. We're just going to follow it till it's yeah logical end, like whatever that may mean. Right. I think the, I think the thing is, is that we were, I, I always just wanted the romance, I think, and the adventure of getting on the road with a band. I mean, that seemed just the, the ultimate, it was always, you know, you would just, you know, once you started getting into, you know, what music and you are idolizing people, you know, rock bands or whatever. I mean, it just is absolutely so romantic and so adventurous that that's what you wanted to, that's what I wanted to do. And I, you know, that was the focus. It wasn't, um, that man, if I could just get out there on the road, then I could be making a bunch of money or something. It was just, if I could get on the road, I could see mountains and be, Play, you see, know, see the Pacific play. Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a huge, it's funny because that's such a huge thing for anybody that doesn't live in California or in the mm-hmm. West Coast in general, where it's like, oh yeah, if I can see like the Atlantic and the Pacific with like my band, like that's, oh my God, yeah. I can't even believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, that was the goal. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, I mean, you want to, you want to write good songs of course, and make of good course. Rec- <laughs> records. Right, right. Too, but, yeah. Know, there's other, there's other goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and so something I find interesting too, because this is such a, uh, a thing of the, the time. And obviously when bands don't have any sort of like career ambitions, you know, you guys release two full lengths in pretty quick succession, you know, right? Um, it's like, you know, cause whatever, within a year and a half, you were releasing mm-hmm. both of those. And, you know, whereas bands now like clearly have a calculated path of like, okay, here's an 18 to 24 month album cycle. And, you know, those words didn't exist back then. Yeah. Um, I presume the the fact that you guys put those out so quickly was just the fact that you had all of these songs written and there was a lot of creative energy and juices flowing where you're like, yeah, we got to get it out there. Cause yeah, our old, our, our full length, like our first one, like that, that's, you know, that's old now. Like we got to get, right. we got to get the new one out. 
Yeah, we were just trying to keep writing, and uh, there was definitely more ideas, and we all lived together, and we could practice three days a week. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we had it, and I guess I felt like, or we felt like, you know, you just kind of keep producing. And um, and then, you know, we did. We we felt a little like we wanted, you know, once we had got the first record out and toured on it, you know, you do want to just kind of start it over again and um, as soon as possible. So, yeah, we were just, you know, just trying to stay prolific, um, just keep writing. Because it, it was too, you know, you get, you get better as a band and it just becomes more fun to write because you can kind of do more stuff. And you can, you can um, you know, whatever you're hearing, you can make real sooner, I think. Sure. Yeah, you just want to get it out there because mm-hmm. like, there's no... You're like, why would you wait on it? Because it's like, well, yeah, we can just like, you know, tour more and that's fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely wanted to just keep making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And we, yeah, we didn't know anybody. <laughs> so right. Yeah. We don't know. And in fact, right now I'm kind of like, well, this record actually hasn't even, I mean, it drops on Friday for real and I'm already trying to write new bits because it just seemed like it took so long to get the songs together this time that you know, and just to kind of get on top of the whole th- thing, I just want to make sure those crank, those uh, wheels keep turning, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So. Well, especially too, when you're in such a different station in your life, and mm-hmm. like you said, it takes a lot longer to get all these things moving in synchronicity. Right. So it's not like, you know, yeah, it, it's not like you have an abundance of time to be like, Hey, cool. Yeah. Let's just like hang out and drink beer and get right. pizza. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You definitely have to be efficient and, and thoughtful and, uh, strategic really you know which yeah. is fun too i mean that's fun to just kind of plan it plan it all out too yeah exactly you have a structure to it and not just mm-hmm. like you're not just reactionary right um, yep something that i uh you know a thread i wanted to pull on from kind of you know previous interviews that you've done um because i i think this doesn't get um it's kind of an overarching theme but it doesn't get like spoken about very much where Mm -hmm. um you know you've mentioned in uh, previously like the immediacy of this scene is kind of what struck you the most like once you started to you know really get out there with giant's chair and start to you know experience all these bands and tour all that sort of stuff um you know uh, talk to me a little bit more about kind of you know I understand what you mean by that, but just like, you know, mm-hmm. what it was it the BDSC in regards to how, you know, quickly you could put out music or like how you could book shows or was it like just basically a combination of all of those things? I feel like it, um, it has to do with, I mean, the excitement of you're just getting closer and closer to the core of where the action is. Um, and you know, yeah, in the sort of most basic sense, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm buying an art of a record from the guy who is, who just, who wrote these things, you know, and this is so immediate. Um, that to me is super exciting. And, um, and then, you know, you're, you know, just being as face to face as possible, um, was really, um, energizing, and so, so, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty, it seems pretty simple. I think that's, I'm not sure I can say much more about how no, how I, cool y- it is. Yeah. I think that's, it is something that is so engaging when you feel, 
you know, of a certain age where it's like, you Mm -hmm. don't feel like you've got many choices in life because you're told to go to school, go to work or whatever, Mm -hmm. do all these things that are, you know, prerequisites of you. But then when you're given this sort of really open playground to be like, oh yeah, like you can create something from nothing and you can book the show. Like that just feels like you, not even so much from a control perspective, but just the idea that you can work on something that didn't exist before. Right. Yeah, that is true. And yeah, down to the artwork, you know, that was, that's another thing is for me as a visual person, um, you know, I, I derive a huge amount of pleasure from dreaming up what this thing could look like even, you know, let alone, you know, even just aside from what it sounds like, you know, and the, and flyers and the whole, the whole thing. I just love that you, you know, at this stage, I mean, I've, I definitely appreciate, you know, that when uh, the labels can do all the stuff they can do and make and help you make things real. But as far as visualizing, um, you know, whether orally or visually uh, a thing that was, like you said, not, there was nothing there before. And it just, it just comes from inside you is, you know, it's just, there's, it's just magic, you know? Totally. And to the fact that, you feel like you're part of this, this secret society, like, you know, your, Mm -hmm. your parents and your elders don't have any idea of what this, you know, (laughs) whatever they hear you play in a band and you're just like, they they don't know what that means. Right. (laughs) And so the fact you can just exist completely, you know, on your own and unencumbered, um, you know, given some guardrails, but like, yeah, you can experiment and be as weird as you want. Yeah, and you might end up, you know, at calling them from a payphone in Los Angeles too. <laughs> like, and that I just I love that bit too. Wherever, whenever we did get on the road to be able to, you know, you just felt like you'd really done something. You were out there, you know, just barely scratching by, or, but you'd made it that far. And to be able to call your mom from the road is always a thrill. Totally, yeah. Just, to, <laughs> just to be like, hey, I bet you never thought I'd be here with my dumb band, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. With all this noise. Totally. <laughs> uh, something that always struck me about Giants Chair 2 was the, um, you know, I guess the aesthetic of it. I mean, especially with your first two records. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was just so, um, I, I mean, for lack of a better term, uh, just like modern art stuff where it was like, yeah. it was very simple, um, very plain, but, you know, delivered the, uh, I, I guess, impression uh, that this was something that was very, you know, thoughtful and thought out as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, maybe other things that were obviously very sort of, um, you know, hand to mouth, cut and paste. Not like they looked bad, sure. but just yeah, yeah. It, it definitely was a very distinct difference that I noticed between you guys and, you know, other your other contemporaries. Uh, I presume that was a very deliberate thing on your guys' part. Yeah, I was working at a print shop and I um, could, could print. And by then I was also starting to, um, um, I was into, well, so one of our roommates was Brady from Hammer Press. And so we had been from the get-go pretty involved with, uh, or at least, you know, we had access to that sort of like letterpress and, um, and a sensibility of, um, you know, materials and, um, these things. So we want, we wanted, we wanted to make something that was special and that was kind of happening, not just for us here, but, you know, it just seemed like, um, at, at that moment with independent record labels and stuff, I felt like people were trying to make something extra cool or special or tactile. And, 
and for me as a, I guess a graphic designer, I just wanted, I was trying to peel back all the layers and just get to these, the, the bare essentials of, of a thing. Um, I didn't want to make stuff that was representational. Um, and in fact, that's in the lyrics too. I think I didn't want, um, at least the first record, it's pretty obtuse. And I just was kind of, it was a, um, um, almost random imagery sometimes. I mean, it was things that I felt somehow attracted to, you know, words, but it was really just kind of putting them together and, and seeing what shapes they would make almost. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was, you know, I, I really loved the idea of paring things down and getting it to this sort of almost mysterious, um, uh, minimalism. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah that was kind of always a thing except for the first seven inch we did which we were definitely in the old photo right. <laughs> of course with, which was fun and i just love that from the you know the difference between the hot boy seven inch and the um and the first record it's sort of eons you know even though it was about a you know two years maybe or something sure yeah yeah but yeah so much changes and especially too mm-hmm. like once you start to add all these other influences into your life and start to right you know get a broader scope of things you're like oh yeah mm-hmm. actually I, I like that more than i like you know just choosing a stock photo out of a you know encyclopedia or whatever <laughs> right <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah um and so, you know, when you, did you like, I guess, touring in general? Um, you know, I, I know that there's that sense of adventure. And like you said, the, you know, calling your mom from a payphone in LA or whatever, yeah. like there's yeah. those, those moments. Was there any, uh, I guess, kind of, did it wear on you at all? Did you, um, or did you just kind of enjoy it in general? Oh my gosh, I enjoy it so much. I, um, I mean, it's just still, it's the, the, it's just like dreaming yourself on vacation in a way. I mean, it is a lot of work and you're, you know, you're on a schedule and stuff, but, um, I can't, you know, it's kind of the, the adage of, um, a bad day on the road is better than Than a good day at work, you know? Right. Um, but you know, the thing that I, I, we, we were booking tours with, um, you know, on a phone with an Atlas and a mailbox, you know, and it was before email and everything. And, um, so that was a grind and that was, that was a little hard because you're just constantly, you know, you literally leave messages every day and hope someone gets back and you just have to be the, the most obnoxious person of the hundred that they're getting calls from. And that was kind of, you know, you're just cold selling yourself when no one's heard of you. And that's kind of a drag, but at the same time, when you get, you know, one show comes through for all that work, it's totally worth it. And, um, you just, you know, you're just a little bit farther down the road. So I, I love it. I love the road. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And, you know, since giant chair was such a, uh, you know, quick, uh, you know what, I mean, the duration of the band was what, like maybe four or five years or am I missing? Yeah. 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 It was about, um, yeah, it was four, probably four or five. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, you know, as things started to, you know, come to kind of a, 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 a I guess, quote unquote, logical end as far as like, okay, mm-hmm. we've, you know, done all that we can do with this. Um, mm-hmm. You, um, you know, you, you obviously still went on to, you know, create music with your, you know, Rex Hobart and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, you know, did you have, I guess, a difficulty sort of 
getting out of giant's chair in regards to like, you know, Hey, I'm Scott from giant's chair. Like people obviously <laughs> wrap up and I'm not saying like, you know, you're egotistical, but like, you know, right, people, yeah. you wrap up, like that's how people know you. Um, so was there any kind of that, uh, I, I wouldn't even call it identity crisis, but that sort of like transition, um, you know, was that difficult for you? Um, it, it was fun. It was, it wasn't difficult. Uh, it was a totally different you know, a totally different way of approaching music. Um, and it was, uh, it was just fun because, you know, I, I had a, I had a, a stage name, I had costume, I had all this insulation, so to speak. And it was just very liberating to kind of just say, Hey, I can, I, now I'm going to write very straightforward country songs for God's sakes. And, um, you know, dress up in this old sparkly suit and be a clown, you know, but it, a sad clown. And, um, it was not, it wasn't hard for me. I think uh, I, I'm sure that a lot of anybody who cared, if anybody cared really, they, they were maybe shocked or jarred by it. But at the same time, it was so absurd that, you know, even our, you know, hardest rock and friends seemed to appreciate that it was just, it was fun. You know, that was enough, that was part of it. I really wanted to have fun. I was kind of at, at the moment tired of being a, trying to be a serious rocker. Not that there wasn't a lot of laughter around in, in and around the band. I mean, we're all a bunch of goofballs, but, um, but it was really fun to sort of take it to that next ridiculousness sure you want to be able to let your hair down and obviously be yeah. something completely different than what yeah. you previously were yeah it was it was really fun yeah and still is i mean i still i still do that you right. know we once a month at least it's just kind of like a, you know just in going you know taking a walk through the country sure <laughs> that's cool and i'm sure it, it's interesting for you to uh you know get feedback in regards to um you know these sort of interviews and obviously the press cycle you're doing about the new record um it, you know it, i guess since you've you know uh, quote unquote come back as far as releasing new music and the idea that you you know you're going to be you know active and playing shows here and there mm-hmm. um what's kind of been, you know, a surprising element that you might not have considered before you started to, you know, put yourself out there and work with Spartan records and do all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, uh, let's see. Well, what would be, what's surprising? Well, I guess I was surprised in a way of, uh, just the writing process at how, um, how fast the, the, music came the guitar parts and stuff because before when we kind of f- closed closed the doors um in 97 it was very literally you know that the just the ideas weren't coming i guess we i personally as a key member didn't you know i just wasn't feeling it and i just didn't have any ideas i felt like i'd stretched my fingers as far as i could at that moment and then so it was interesting to me whenever we s- decided we were going to start writing this stuff that how, f- I mean, I guess it doesn't, didn't really surprise me because it had maybe in a way had been pent up, you know, I'd been, I had done some things, but it hadn't really, um, been trying to come up with 10 or 12 new rock riffs. Um, but anyway, that came pretty quick. Uh, 
and I've written about this too, that the words, you know, that, that was a little hard, uh, more difficult. I felt like to kind of come back from the very straightforward style of writing, you know, five albums of country songs in 20 years. Um, but ultimately I felt like it was, you know, it was a cool, um, process of, you know, sort of the way I used to do things where I would just basically just drivel on sheet after sheet of paper and then kind of go back through and say, well, that's kind of an interesting, um, image or idea or thought. Sure. Um, so those different things were a little, um, surprising, but then, um, and it was surprising of how long it actually did take and how many, (laughs) whatever you you can only get together once a week versus three times a week, how much longer it can take with stuff. So I, I guess we figured it would happen. We would be done sooner than it, than three years. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about the, but just like the whole label thing. I mean, we were surprised that someone wanted to help us, uh, because we've figured all we could really do maybe is come up with some songs and press a record on our own. If we could cobble, you know, scrape together enough money. Um, and so it was surprising in in a way for us that, that someone was willing to, you know, help us make that happen. You you want to pay to press a record? Are you sure? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. You know, I mean, I, we definitely had some, moments where I was like, listen, you you have to really know, I just want to say this again, we cannot, we're not going to be on the road really (laughs) supporting this for months or weeks, even at a time. I mean, we will definitely try to do whatever we can and we do love to get out and play, but it's just, you know, well, let's be, we have to be very realistic before you, you before you decide you really want to get in with this. Yeah. So that was cool. And it's surprising too. I mean, how many people, you know, remember us at all you know we just kind of were you know we figured you know when you're out there and you're you know you do two tours and no one really knows who you are at all um 20 years ago you're playing to your you know your friends in the band and um and you know maybe five people or six or something sometimes maybe you know occasionally a a couple places that would be a big room but um but then to think, you know, then this many years later to think that people that something you did was maybe memorable or people still can get something from those early records is, is pretty exciting and surprising. Totally. Yeah. You're like, no, no one should ostensibly care about what we do anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, there's, there's plenty of other things to occupy your time with. Why are you caring about Giants chair? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the last thing I want to hit on was like, you know, so what is your, uh, I guess, quote unquote, real life look like, like you mentioned the, you're, you know, you build, uh, stages and props and what have you for children's Mm -hmm. theater. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, uh, I presume that you have been doing that for quite some time, you know, basically balancing all of the musical projects and then, you know, doing this. Yeah. It's, yeah. I kind of backed into it. Um, I, you know, I was, uh, not that you asked how I got there. No, I did. I did. It's fine. I, yeah, I'll okay. take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I had, um, yeah, I was, it's funny cause we were, my wife was in grad school in Buffalo and by this time the country band hadn't, um, we were kind of starting to, you know, get back to real life too. We had done that by then, I think, f- f- uh, three records 
and for bloodshot records and we you know had toured on all those and then um we were kind of getting back to real life my wife and i had moved to buffalo new york to for her to be in grad school so we were there for a couple of years and i was kind of just picking up gig work here and there with you know whatever odd jobs or anything and i had a band up there and one of the um but well so for first we were having a halloween party and we lived in this house and there was an apartment that you, an old dilapidated apartment in the attic that they used to rent out at some point but because of fire codes they couldn't do that anymore and they just had given us the key my wife and i had to you know to use it for storage or whatever and we were having a halloween party so i decided to do a haunted house up there for this party and i just got absolutely obsessed with it and i just decided i wanted to make fake stuff and um you know because i was i've always been kind of crafty or you know could like i said paint or draw or build things weird things and so um we i got so into that and i I had a friend in a band and one of my country bands in buffalo who sometimes helped turn theaters around between productions and so i kind of got my foot in the door that way and then then we ended up so i did as much of that as i could find and then we moved out to santa fe for a year when she she got had an internship out there and um and i got you know i was working at a uh community theater in santa fe for that year and then we ultimately came back to kansas city and i just kind of cold dropped a um a resume around and had just enough experience to to get called by this theater that i've been at for now 12 years and it's been a really fun ride and um, and we do a lot of really cool work it's kind of a um i guess edutainment type place um so we do we do a lot of uh um, literature based or civil rights things. Um, not all of it. I mean, like right now we have Charlie Brown Christmas up, so we do some fun stuff too. If you, if you call Charlie Brown Christmas fun, um, some people do, some people don't. We do. (laughs) He's a, he's pretty funny. Um, so anyway, that's how I got in theater and that's, um, what my day job is, you know, just kind of, and I maintain the facility some, so I'm kind of a handyman there, so to speak. Sure. Um, a jack of all trades. <laughs> yep. Jack yeah. of all trades, master, master none, none, for yeah. sure. Hey man, well, well, welcome to everybody that is involved in independent music. You're like, exactly. I can't just do one thing. I'll just do a bunch <laughs> of things. Okay. It's exactly right. It's so ridiculous, <laughs> it is. but it's yep. fine. It keeps you thinking. Yeah. Head no, scratching. It totally does. It totally does. Well, Scott, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. This was super fun, and I really appreciate you uh, letting me uh, pick around your life. Man, I appreciate it, Ray, and thanks for the good questions and the good conversation. Boom, there we go. That was Scott. I really appreciate that interview, and I also appreciate his publicist, Mike, for hooking it up. Um, I just always like it when, when friends are able to make the connection for you, you know? So thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, Scott. And next week, we have Ronan Kaufman. He is the vocalist from Zombie Apocalypse, and he also played in a band called Trial Fail try fail try and he also was the host of a very influential podcast to me personally called issue oriented it was a uh, short-lived thing you know i mean he did it for about maybe two years i want to say and you know 40 or 50 episodes but this was like at the dawn of podcasts (laughs) as far as uh i want to say gosh it was like maybe 2000 maybe 2006 2007 somewhere around there but uh yeah ronan is a very good friend and i hadn't spoken to him in quite some time so we were able to make this happen so that's what i got next week it's 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 a fun one so until then please be safe everybody hey miles yes it's jack 
from work. Yes, hi. Did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can I go to get caught up on know, what is yes. happening? Are you, yes, are you confused about that? You're talking about the Daily Zeitgeist, the show that we do sure every day. I make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day, talk about what is happening, and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul. Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.